0: am I good? Wow, there's a lot of Ian out there. (laughs) Yeah, it was funny, actually. I've been telling Steve uh, a little bit that, you know, it's great when other guest speakers come and get a chance to hear other people speak. I wasn't at all thinking of myself. I was thinking about other people. You know, I can be blessed with other people speaking to me. (laughs) And he asked me to do this, and I was rather reticent. I was actually trying to think about why in the world I signed up for this. But it's been really encouraging. I've been super uh just blessed by this i've been amazed at how much god's been revealing to me uh through his word so um i'm excited to share with you i hope that uh what i have to share is a blessing to you i have never done this before i've never given a full-length sermon before this is the first time so i'm not eloquent my words have a tendency to jumble all together uh so bear with me this is first time doing this um so let's start with prayer it's a good place to be Heavenly Father, we love you and I am just amazed at how much you've shown me through your word. I've just been richly blessed by it and I hope that your word goes out today. I don't want this to be about me. Please send your Holy Spirit right now. Let your word shine forth. Let others in Mercy Hill here see what you have to say to us. God, we need you and I ask that my words would be clear and uplifting to your name. We want you to have your glory extended. And in uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So as I said, you know what? What I have to share this morning is less important than what Jesus said. So if you don't have your Bible this morning, uh, please raise your hand. An usher will hand you one. Uh, what's not important, again, what is it, what I have to say, but what Jesus said. So uh, please look with me. I've got lots of different references. I hope just that you'll see what I've found in here, and you'll be able to see it yourself. So. I think it's page 812 of the Bible. It's being passed out. I could be wrong, but I think it's 812. Uh, we're looking at Matthew 7:24 through 27. This is the last uh, parable of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is Jesus fairly early in his ministry, um, talking to the crowds, talking to his disciples, and also talking to the Pharisees in the hills above the Sea of Galilee. And... Uh, This is actually quite a bit longer of a sermon. Uh, If you've been following with us, we've been doing this at Mercy Hill since February. There's a lot of rich content here. And so Jesus, to summarize everything that he had to say, he gave this little short mini parable. But as we know from the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot in there. So. Hopefully we can see how rich it is, even though there's only three verses here. There's some real deep richness that Jesus wants to tell us about these two different builders. We've got a builder who is foolish, built his house on the sand, and a second builder who built his house on the rock. And we see that there's a drastically different um, outcome because of these two different builders. So let's start with reading the passage, okay? So Matthew 7:24 through 27. Uh, Maria and I absolutely love the beach. We just got back from a trip to Peru, and uh, we spent a good chunk of time on the beach. And uh, I can't think of a better place to just relax You see just how big the ocean is. God created this amazing ocean, crashing waves just to demonstrate his strength, and just the sea air and squish the sand beneath your toes. It's really refreshing. And uh, Maria's always chatting about, man, wouldn't it be awesome to live on the beach? Wouldn't this be just great to be right there perched on the cliff above the beach and see this every day? Ah, oh, We could just glorify God through watching this. And, you know, we're not the only ones that think that. I mean, we can't afford it, but, I mean, there's so many other people. We you think of Santa Cruz, you think of Laguna, you think of uh, Malibu. All these different, very famous towns all have these crazy expensive homes perched above the ocean. And uh, it's just uh, amazing to me to see, you know, these homes and be able to magnify God through what they see there. The challenge, of course, is that a lot of these homes are also very famous for crashing in the ocean. You've got a big Pacific storm that comes rushing in, tears out uh, the sand underneath the house, and it just smashes in the ocean. These are all very strong homes. They have very secure foundations. They're all built to code. Someone checked these things out, but yet they still crash in the ocean. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why is that? They built it on the sand. And Jesus tells the same thing about us, that uh, we can have the right building blocks of our foundation, but if we put it in the wrong spot we could also expect that our foundation would crumble underneath us and uh, the very words that Jesus says are, and great was the crash of it. So as we dig into this, um, I have a a slightly different approach than Steve. When I dig into the Bible, I want to really understand the details and then summarize uh, from that. So I'm kind of hoping that you can kind of walk through with me and come to the same conclusions I do. I don't want you to just assume that I've got the right conclusion. So let's walk together through kind of the details of what is in this sermon or in this parable and then uh, come together to the same conclusion. So first we have to ask ourselves, there's a lot of different components to this. We've got a foolish builder who's got his house in the sand. On the other hand, we've got a wise builder who built his house on the rock. Both of these guys have a storm that attacks them and beats against them. So what are these different things? What's Jesus talking about? I'm sure he's not just trying to talk about building codes. He wants us to have some application for our life. So let's first start with what are these different foundations? What do they mean? What's the rock? Uh, So the rock is actually pretty easy to know what that means. It's a very widely used term in Jesus' time. Uh, They're always talking about... uh, how strong and secure our God is. And very commonly in Jesus' time, they'd refer to God as being a rock. And you even see that throughout the Old Testament. You look at the um, prophets, you look at the psalmists, they're all admonishing uh, the fellow Israelites to look at how strong and secure he is and to return to him as the rock of their foundation. So very quickly when Jesus is talking about the rock, people would be like, ah, yes, he's talking about God. That's very clear. So God is our rock. All right? So that's a pretty easy one. Sand, on the other hand, that's not quite so straightforward. Uh, It's not really one of those common things that you hear about rock and sand going together in the Bible. Um, But if we look at the broader Sermon on the Mount, we actually can kind of piece together what exactly is Jesus talking about. Because since we know how clearly what the rock is, it's God's security, we can also reference back to other components of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus compares and contrasts other things to God's security. So if you look at chapter 6... There's actually three different things, or four different places, uh, where Jesus talks about security versus um, other things. So we've got, for example, recognition from God in verses 1 through 6 versus recognition from man and how secure that is. We also have the security of treasures in heaven versus earthly possessions that are worn out or are stolen. We also have seeking the kingdom of God versus anxiety about life and how secure that is to seek uh, just even basic life necessities. So what do we look at here? We've got all these different stuff. I mean, it's a broad list of things, but they're all less secure. We've got man's approval and recognition. We have earthly possessions, which may or may not be material. They could also be position or fame. And then we also have anxiety over life. This is really anything other than God. So The sand here is the world or ourselves. It's anything other than God. So, again, just to repeat, rock is the Lord. Sand is anything else. It's the world or ourselves. So, uh, we've got then a pretty clear picture here then of a guy. He needs wise because he built his life on the rock of the Lord. We've got another guy. Jesus calls him foolish. He built his life on either the world or himself in terms of worldly things. But then we have this storm, and I think it's really important here to understand why these guys are either foolish or wise, and it's really because of the storm. See, both of them have the same storm, but what is it? So uh, we have to, again, look at the broader Sermon on the Mount to get a picture of what this storm is. It's not really not that hard to see. Um, again, this Sermon on the Mount is a much broader sermon, and so if we just look at the last three parables that Jesus told, they're all talking about God's judgment. He talks about narrow is the gate to eternal life. He talks about the fire or judgment of God. He talks about on that day of God's kingdom. All three of these previous passages just before this one are all talking about God's eternal judgment. So it's pretty natural to assume that if we're hearing this as Jesus told it, we would also be un- under that same mindset that this is God's judgment. He's talking about God's judgment and that final day. I do think that there's actually a secondary interpretation, not looking just toward that end final day uh, that it's actually talking about here today, but just park that for a second. I I think there is some useful applications while we're here on earth, but uh, just hold in your mind for a minute that uh, Jesus' primary concern was that final judgment um, at the end of the age. So. Uh, A couple other observations about the storms, because I think it's important to just really piece apart what Jesus is talking about. Um, One is, if you look at the description of the storms, what do you see? He doesn't use a different description for the wise builder or the foolish builder. He has the exact same description. Rain, floods, winds. That means that both builders had the exact same storm that went on them. So if we then apply the idea that the storm is God's judgment... Final judgment. That means that we're all going to experience the exact same storm. It doesn't depend if we're, you know, a Christian at Mercy Hill or if we're a Christian at, you know, Venture Church or you know some guy down in San Jose. We all have the exact same type of storm that will be on us and that God's final judgment day. And then, you know, just to not uh, mess around, Jesus tells us this isn't going to be wimpy. Uh, he tells us straight up that this is going to be a beating, and uh, that's hard words. <laughs> To imagine that on that end day, as we look forward at the end of our lives, when Jesus returns that second time, that there is going to be a beating of God's final judgment. And uh, you know as we look at the whole Sermon on the Mount we see that all of us, myself included, we miss the boat. All of us, if we look at the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, realize that I can't do that. <laughs> I look at what Jesus commands me to do and I say, I failed. Be free from self-oriented pride. Be pure in heart. Don't have bitter or lustful thoughts. Do not lie. Love your enemies. Don't look from the praise from man. Don't be anxious. Don't be materialistic. I mean, it just keeps going on and on. I mean, I, just from the first one, I, <laughs> I know I missed it. And I imagine that Jesus is going to have this list of like, I, I commanded these things to you. This is what I asked of you. And I'm going to say, ah, I lost it. But... Uh, you know, when we look toward that end day, we realize that uh, even though we deserve that punishment, because of what we've done on our own, we deserve God's righteous judgment against us because of what I've done, we have Jesus, and it's just it gives me such hope to think about that that I don't have to look at that end day and just think, man, I got to live it up now because I'm going to be burning the rest of my you know eternity. I have some hope. Jesus came for us. God knew that we couldn't do it on our own. We failed, we m- miserably failed. Even today, I mean, I've, I'm sure I sinned on the way here, um, just with anxiety over this. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus, he led the life that I was not able to. He came and uh, punished for me in my place. He suffered in my place, and then he rose again. He has life in him, and I can also, through him, through Jesus, be reconciled to God. And I can have that hope as I look toward the future, as I look toward that final day of judgment. I can say, yes, I have a hope in Jesus because of what he's done for me. And even more important, this is where I wanted to go with the sermon, is that it's not just about that end final day. It's also about, I've got 60, 80, 100 years here on earth. And there's an application of Jesus today. I don't, it's not just a, you know, a golden ticket of saying, yeah, okay, I've got that awesome you know, future ahead of me heaven playing my you know, harp. I've got some hope for today. I don't have to live in the same sinfulness that I've lived in because of Jesus changing me. So the natural conclusion I have then is, well, man, how do I do that? I don't want to be a foolish builder. I mean, Jesus calls that person foolish. That sounds pretty rough. Uh, I want to be that wise builder. How do I do that? So, uh, Jesus tells us. He doesn't want to leave us suspenseful. He tells us right there in verse 24. uh, What does he say? He says that anyone who then hears these words of mine and does them. So, there's a distinction here. We've got the foolish builder also heard the words, but he didn't do Jesus' what he said. Just heard it and then went and did his own thing. The wise builder, on the other hand, did it. Uh, I have to scratch my head at this point and say, this feels a heck of a lot like a catch-22. I just heard from, you know, you, Ian, that the Sermon on the Mount told me that I'm going to hell. But then Jesus tells me that I have to obey him in order to know that I'm on the rock. I don't get it. How does this work? (laughs) And the answer is, you can't do it on your own. And I think this is where we miss the boat, is that we know we can't do it on our own, but we sure try to. You know, Jesus was rebuking the uh, Pharisees adamantly about the outer cup being dirty, and the inner cup being uh, I'm sorry the outer cup looking clean, and the inner cup looking dirty. They were always looking at the exterior but missing the interior. And this is what we miss is that the power for changed behavior is not in guilt. It's not looking good in front of others, and it's certainly not John Wayne willpower. And I think that's what we often go to. The power is in the Holy Spirit changing our hearts. And it's the outflow of our changed hearts that then demonstrates that behavior. And, uh, you know, there's so many Christianese words that it's really hard. And we always talk about heart. You read in the Bible, it's all about heart. But what is that? The heart really is your inner self. It's who you are. It's not the exterior of your hair, you know, your arms and what you look like. It's really your inner being. It's your spirit, your soul, your mind, your emotions, your will. That's the real you. And, of course... (laughs) It's just amazing to me. I can't change who I am on the inside. I got all this junk that just comes out on its own. I don't even realize it. I think I'm doing good, and all of a sudden I say something really nasty, and it's like, holy cow, was that really me? (laughs) And the answer is, yes, that was me. And so the critical message here is that once my heart's changed, then I start doing what Jesus commands. But... uh, I can't tell you how many times growing up I heard the phrase, you know, fake it till you make it, or, you know, unless there's some momentum, God can't work with you. It's all focused on these kind of, well, you kind of got to get started and then Jesus will work with you then. I got nothing to offer. And so we get the order wrong, don't we? We kind of think that, yeah, we'll throw a little bit of action in there and then God will change my heart. I got nothing. I got nothing. God has to start with the heart. And if we're going through our day and we realize that our heart's not in it, and we immediately try to just sort of grin and bear it and just sort of fake it, we're missing the whole point. The battle's in the heart. The battle is in the heart. It's not in our actions. So, you know, for example, I remember listening to John Piper, um, Future Greats. He was talking about going over to someone's house who he didn't even really want to see. And you can grit your teeth and do that, but you're going to be kind of a surly, not very friendly person. So he was talking about how important it is to battle with God about your heart. God, my heart's not in the right spot. I, I don't want to do this. And unless you change my heart, I'm not going to be able to do it the way you want me to do it. So uh, it's really important to focus on that heart. Um, and Jesus even clarifies in the previous parable for us what the impact is if we try to grin and bear it. What does he say? He says, I never knew you. Those people that try to do the actions without the heart, Jesus says straight up on that final day, I never knew you. So it's critically important that we don't just try to fake it until we make it, but that we really focus on the battle of our heart. Um, But one thing that I noticed here, what's the verb tense that Jesus uses about do? Is it passive? Is it past tense? It's actually active. It's current tense. Jesus is talking about something that's ongoing. So this isn't just like, you know, coming up to the altar after a service you know saying that prayer and now you're good you got your ticket punched and you're going to heaven this is an ongoing thing and i think this is where we get messed up on this parable because i think about my house it gets built it stays there it's not going anywhere it's that's where it's at and you know what my heart's much more fickle than that it it moves every day my heart's trying to move somewhere else i can't tell you how half-hearted shifting wandering and wishy-washy my heart is it's not constant And you know what happens? If I'm not um, doing what God commands me to do, it's because my heart shifted. You know, it's really easy to say, oh, I've got some quiet time in the morning. And you know what happens in the afternoon? I'm swearing at people in traffic. I'm getting snippy with people at work. You know why? It's because my heart shifted. And if my heart shifted, it's because I'm trusting something else. And uh, this is a critical message, and I want to make sure that we get it, is that... uh, our daily choices impact where our house is today. Our life every day is rebuilt. And I know that sounds hard because it's like, man, I did some good church service. I worship Jesus on Sunday. And then on Monday we're like, man, where in the world did my heart go, right? It happens. We shift. And it's very easy for us to get in a pattern of today, putting our heart someplace, and then tomorrow someplace. And that then turns into a pattern of weekly or monthly or yearly houses being built of our life, And then we kind of wonder as we're looking at that end state, where did we go, right? We look at that end state and say, well, I gave that one-time sinner's prayer, but we end up building a foundation multiple times throughout the day and weekly and monthly. And so it's very important that we establish a heart foundation daily. See, Jesus' explanation for the Christian foundation is not a one-time decision for Christ, but it's rather a continual heart submission to Jesus. And that submission then results in the doing. And uh, you know, I, I think it's actually for this reason, you know, going back to the whole storm discussion, that Jesus, because he has his focus on that end goal of judgment, there's actually storms in everyday life, aren't there? I mean, don't we feel this? There are storms daily that I think Jesus allows into our life because he wants us to be prepared for that final day. It's so important for him that we join with him in eternity. He wants us there with him. And yet, uh, he, we kind of view these storms, I think, as negative. But in reality, these are storms that are very loving. He wants us to be there with him. You know what happens to those storms? They squeeze us, don't they? And yucky stuff comes out. And if yucky stuff comes out, it's because there's yucky stuff in here. And we often say, oh, man, I, I wish I didn't have that pressure I wish I didn't have that difficulty of difficult co-workers the problem is not your co-workers or your spouse or your family the problems inside and I think our viewpoint our viewpoint is wrong because what we do is we say I want less stress around me and so then I can lead a very comfortable quiet life and Jesus is saying yeah you got 60 80 100 years here but you got eternity you're looking for people let's change your heart today and tomorrow and for the rest of this life because I want you to be ready for that final day. So the storms aren't something that's difficult to inconvenience you. The storms are God being very loving, very tender with you to say, I want you to be ready. I want you to be with me in heaven. Uh, you know what? And I, I think this actually is what we see in Jesus' sermon. I don't think that I'm making this up. What type of descriptions does Jesus say with the storms? They're kind of everyday descriptions, aren't they? Rain, wind, floods. I mean, I... Turn on C-SPAN. You hear about this stuff all the time in the Midwest, don't you? I mean, these aren't every hundred-year storms. These are daily storms, or if not, uh, I'm sorry, seasonally storms. And I think we we see this. I mean, I think we feel storms throughout our life, don't we? Aren't there regular times of difficulty? Um, I mean, just from our life, Maria and I, we've been struggling with getting pregnant. We've been wanting it for a while, and we were really excited a couple months ago because Maria was pregnant. They're like, ah, yes, Jesus, you're answering prayers. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. And then she had a miscarriage. It's like, (laughs) why, God? Why did you do that to us? We had so much hope in it, and then he took it away. He wants our hearts. He had something better for us. And, you know, that's minor. I know some of you that have difficulty with your children. Uh, There's cancer. There's death. There's kids that are born with with, um, medical problems. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it and say these are easy things. But because God has the end point in view, because he wants us to be ready on that final day, he's lovingly allowing these things. And not just allowing, he wants to us to engage in them because he wants to squeeze us to show us that there's junk inside of us so we can do some heart work with him and be ready on that final day. So... Uh, I love blocks. (laughs) And Steve always does French fries, and it always makes me hungry. So I'm doing something you don't want to eat. So uh, I am admittedly extending Jesus' analogy slightly, but I I think it's in very much in alignment with the scriptures. So if you can't see the blocks here, I've got some pictures from Machu Picchu. uh, Actually, no, this is another location in Peru, uh, so you can see the image. But... um, you know, Jesus, as he's talking about the rock versus the sand, uh, he's talking about two different builders. And in reality, we're all builders, aren't we? We're all building our life somewhere. And, you know, in Jesus's time, their foundation wasn't concrete. Their foundation was actually blocks of rock, right? And I think Jesus does the same thing. He gives us building blocks of life. This is our, who we are. This is our inner self. We have opportunity to do something with these blocks, you know we 've got a description here of you know uh, rest and pleasure and trust and purpose and hope and security. These are all things that could be good, could be bad in reality they 're amoral or neutral. It really depends on what we do with them. So what Jesus is telling us that if we take these blocks, we can put them in him and take them and make them good blocks. Yes, see look at this we 've got a nice, solid foundation in Jesus. But uh, we also can misuse them. Uh, <laughs> a couple of examples from my life. Let's see what are some good ones from me. Um, you know, here we've got one that's um, identity. I got I put a big solid block for this one because I like it. Um, so it's really easy for me to get hung up in who I am in terms of my job. I am an employee of this company in this position. And you know what happens then? Sometimes God takes that away. Did I lose my identity? Uh, You know, and I I think we even reinforce that. I mean, how do we introduce ourselves? My name and what I do. (laughs) Wouldn't it be so much easier to say, hey, I'm Ian and I love Jesus, instead of I'm Ian and I'm a director at this company? What if God takes that away? It's very loving of Him to do that. You know, just another example from guys. uh, Here's another block at the bottom worth. Where do we find our worth that? If I make forty thousand dollars at a company, does that mean that I'm worth forty thousand dollars? And if someone else makes three times what I make, does that make them worth three times more than me? I think we feel that way. I feel that way. I talk to people in senior positions. I'm like, wow, they are, whoo, they are the mama. <laughs> but uh, you know what we miss? My identity is not in what I do or how much I make. My identity is in Jesus. 100% in Him. It's has, again, let me repeat this, nothing to do with me. We talk about self-esteem, self-blah-blah-blah. Blah, blah. It's, it's yuck. <laughs> it's all about Jesus and who he is and his glory and his magnificence, right? I mean, security. How secure do we feel when we've got a big boatload of cash in the bank account or our homes are designed exactly the way we want them? we got the nice furniture. we got the TV screen. You know, everything is clean. You know, the kids' toys aren't all out. Ooh, I I can take it easy now. I feel secure. I got the money. I got the stuff all laid out. What if, you know, something falls apart? What if our money dwindles down? Do we still have security? Yeah, we do. We have it in Jesus. So uh, uh, let me just describe this a little more because I think we're a little bit more nuanced than this. I don't think we just say, yeah, 100% Jesus or, yeah, 100% world. I think we're actually a little bit more sneaky about that. I think actually what happens is we say, well, you know, hmm, this is not a very big block. I mean, just pull that one out, love. Yeah, um, I love motorcycles. Yeah, um, it's so much fun. I just love working on my motorcycle. I want to, you know, have some just incredible love over here. Maybe, you know, actually joy. Yeah, that kind of goes with love, doesn't it? We'll kind of build up that motorcycle foundation a little bit over here. You know what happens? We start building multiple foundations and it's not just one over here. It's not like I just have a motorcycle. I'm thinking, hmm, what are some of these other ones here? Reliance, yeah. Maybe this guy over here. So we've got motorcycle. Maybe I'll start relying on myself. Hmm. I don't need Christian community or God. I, I, I think I can take care of it, can't I? So actually, maybe I'll pull out the agenda one too. It's really about my agenda, isn't it? Yeah, there's some God stuff over here, right? I mean, I've got, I've got some God blocks. It's not too bad of a foundation, isn't it? But you know, I start building other foundations over here because I can kind of justify myself. I've got a couple blocks going over in the Jesus camp, right? And then, of course, I think one of the other challenges we face is that it's not stable. It might look like this today, but it changes, doesn't it? I can be super just grateful to Jesus for my job and say, God... Thank you for providing for me that I can have food and a shelter and I can take care of Maria too. This is a gift from you. Thank you, Jesus. But what happens? <laughs> I get really caught up in, ooh man, I need to please people at work because if I don't please them, they won't like me. <laughs> so what happens is that in the morning, I'm grateful. In the afternoon, I kind of yank one of these blocks out and put it over on the sandy camp. I didn't choose to do that. My heart did it on its own. I wasn't consciously thinking, yeah, God's not good enough over here. i got to move a block over. It just happens. See, I think one of the challenges we have is that um, we take good things, and on their own they kind of naturally move over because our hearts are sinful. So uh, it's just no wonder that my heart foundation feels so weak sometimes because... They're always moving around, right? They're not a stable foundation over here. I got little clued pieces over here on the rock camp and a bunch of other little pieces over here in the sandy camp. Um, so, this is where it's key. I uh, hope that I can make this clear is that uh, when we're feeling weak and our actions don't reflect what Jesus commands, Jesus, <laughs> I'm feeling my affections for my motorcycle higher than you. Lord, please take my affections from a motorcycle and let them turn toward you. He might take the motorcycle away. He might take work away. But the important thing is surrender. Because then my heart actions start reflecting where my heart is. (laughs) Isn't that so true? So instead of loving and finding joy in my motorcycle or finding reliance or an agenda on myself, I start placing those back in Jesus. See, the important thing is that um, I don't... Uh, try to um, hold on to pieces. I think it's very easy for us to say, my Christian life is actually a little bit like my retirement account. You know, it's good to diversify, right? So I'm going to take some pieces in Jesus. I don't want to overdo it, right? I may not want to be one of those crazy weirdos that kind of gives everything to Jesus. I'll give a little bit to him. And then, you know, there's some other good stuff, right? You know, my house, my wife, kids. I mean, that's all good stuff, right? The problem is, is that those are good things, but they're terrible foundations. And they're loving gifts from God, but the whole point was to direct us back to Him and say, God, you're so good. Thank you for these things. Thank you for giving them to me. And we turn them into idols and, you know, we take relationships and say, wow, this is a loving gift from you that I can have community and fellowship. And I turn it into, you're going to provide for my needs. I have expectations of you, and you will come through with my expectations to meet my needs. No, that comes from God, not from your relationships. So it's important, again, of these two nuances, we do build multiple foundations and they do shift around. So it's important that we realize that our heart's actively changing regularly. We shouldn't be discouraged that our heart is changing Just expect that it will. I mean, Jesus even says it, doesn't he? I mean, he expects that we're going to have trials in this life and difficulties. Those does come from our heart shifting around different locations. They're actually very loving gifts from God to have those trials to show us, hey, Ian, you're focused on your job or yourself. And I'm squeezing you, allowing it to be squeezed, because I want you to come back to me. I want you to put those building blocks back in my camp. But, of course, uh, I have to be careful the way I say that because Jesus is going to do the heavy lifting for us. Our job is to surrender. That's all we have to do is surrender. He does the heavy lifting for us. I don't have to be a builder and have a big crane to bring these back over here. All I have to do is surrender, and Jesus does the work for me. One of the uh, helpful quotes of, um, I think, very strongly impacting me is from Oswald Chambers. He is one of my heroes of faith. He uh, was actually born in Scotland. I'm Scottish, so that kind of helped naturally draw me to him. Uh, Born in 1874, so he's been around uh, a little while ago. Uh, He actually had a very strong passion for art growing up. And uh, he went to art college. And you know what uh, God said? I don't want you to be in art college. I actually want you to be in seminary. So he gave it up. He went and followed what God's call to him was, so he went to seminary. And uh, what he did then was he uh, then traveled the world... You know, the United States, England, Japan, and Egypt, uh, teaching God's Word. And uh, a lot of those uh, sermons are now collected in a devotional book. You probably have heard of it. My utmost for his highest. It's pretty popular. Um, And as a young Christian, I was very challenged by his words. Um, And one of the ones that really stuck out to me was about being reckless in our faith. So I wanted to uh, highlight that here, uh, because. I think this gets at the core of the issue related to our heart and where our heart's at. So let's look at this together. If you debate even for one second when God has spoken, it is all over for you. Never start to say, well, I wonder if he really did speak to me. Be reckless immediately, totally unrestrained and willing to risk everything by casting your all upon him. You do not know when his voice will come to you, But whenever the realization of God comes, even in the faintest way imaginable, be determined to recklessly abandon yourself, surrendering everything to him. It is only through abandonment of yourself and your circumstances that you will recognize him. You will only recognize his voice more clearly through being reckless, being willing to rescue all. So uh, what Jesus is saying is that We've got these different, or I'm sorry, this is not Jesus, this is Oswald Chambers. (laughs) But uh, I think there's a direct application of what Jesus is saying, is that uh, I have multiple foundations. Guarantee it, today I've got multiple foundations. I should just expect it. But what I need for a secure, stable foundation in Jesus, I need this thing to be complete. I want a whole, full foundation. So I need these blocks to come back over here. And you know what? That looks really risky sometimes. I've had to make hard choices because Jesus called me to. I've had to give up things. But you know what? It's all for his glory because this is important. I love how Steve always says this. There is something so much better than what I'm focusing on. He has a gift that is going to give me greater joy in him, greater satisfaction, greater security than this little piddly thing that I've been thinking was all that important. So these things need to be uprooted. I can't wishwash myself over the idea that, yeah, I've got enough blocks over here. Jesus says that this thing needs to be complete. Doesn't he say earlier in the Sermon on the Mount about how we need to be 100% devoted to him and not, for example, serve money or focus primarily on uh, seeking the kingdom of God? Those aren't little, you know, a little bit of Jesus' statements. That's 100% all-in statements he wants us to give us he wants us to give him 100%. Not just a little bit here and a little bit there. So the challenge of course and I love this statement from Oswald Chambers is that it looks really silly, doesn't it? I think in the eyes of the world, even in myself, I look at these things that Jesus asked me to do and I say, "God, that looks kind of dumb. <laughs> Can't we kind of scale this back a little bit?" you know maybe i'll ride my motorcycle less or you know maybe i'll pray a little more at work and that'll kind of wash over why these things are you know offensive to you and what jesus is saying is that he wants 100% of it he wants 100% of my heart devotion he doesn't want just bits and pieces of me he wants 100% of me so even if it looks reckless in the eyes of the world even if it looks crazy in my own mind he is asking me and he's asking us to give him 100% so th- These blocks over here, motorcycle. I just surrender to Jesus, and He allows me. It's just so amazing to find love in Him. It's so good. He allows me to find reliance on Him, and it's so much better than myself. I fail. I'm a gosh. I'm a terrible person to find reliance in. But He does the work and allows me to then. I have to remember how this comes together. He does the work. He does the work. He puts these things back together into a nice, solid foundation. So uh, I would just encourage you that uh, there's going to be regular times in your life where storms reveal that your heart foundation's in the wrong spot. Don't get discouraged by it. Those are very loving storms, trials that God has put there to bring you back to Him. And all you have to do is surrender. Surrender. 100%. 100%. That's that's it. <laughs> and we're always fighting it. I'm always fighting it. I'm always going back to the junk that is over here in the sandy lot. But uh, th- this is so true. I have never found more freedom, more joy, more satisfaction, more hope than when I give everything to him. It is such pleasure and joy to give 100% to him. And then, yeah, he allows motorcycles. He allows great jobs, but... The joy, the satisfaction, the meaning is all in him. And it's so much better than the junk that I turn to. So I'd encourage you that there's absolutely nothing more secure than putting your life rock foundation on him daily. And I'm surprised I actually have a little bit of time here. I'm I'm sure I said something wrong in my haste. (laughs) So uh, questions, please... uh, what, what sort of questions come up in your mind? What did I say that probably wasn't right, and I can correct it now before it goes too far? And, like, somehow that uh, qu- conviction, which is really just a way that we Christianize feeling guilty sometimes. See, true conviction draws us to God. Feeling guilty just makes us feel sad about ourselves. And so, uh, yes, I, <laughs> I do that. I'm not perfect in that. But... Um, what I'm trying to learn is that I just need to surrender it to him. I don't need to get in this do loop where I'm just feeling guilty about myself and wow, woe was me, why am I doing this again? I, I'm just trying to surrender to him and say, you know what? You have lovingly given me just eyes to see the junk, see the crusties that are part of my heart. And you're showing me because you want me to be ready to be in your kingdom. And so I'm just giving it to you. I can't change my heart mulling it over a hundred times isn't going to do anything other than just beat myself up and really prolong me coming back to you. So I'm just learning to just let go and give it to him. What does surrender mean? Yeah, I, um, the reason I chose these words is because these are often words that I get hung up on. I get hung up on the idea that, for example... So I'm giving an example to describe the, the broader general idea. Uh, I get hung up on something like my identity is in, say, bicycle riding. That's part of who I am. I can't imagine not being able to bicycle ride. I actually used to ride quite a bit. Uh, and sometimes God says, what are you doing? That Okay, bicycle riding, yeah, I gave you that thing, but it's not... Not that important. (laughs) Finding your identity in being able to ride a bike, I mean, it's much more important to find your identity in me. So uh, even though my heart's deceptive and I don't always see these things, what I start to see is that I, at times in the day, I'm like looking at bicycle websites or I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to ride my bike. I mean, all my thoughts are just wrapped around this idea of I have to have this thing, I have to be this thing, I have to do this thing. And that's kind of a clue for me that something's off with my heart foundation. So really I think I start looking at where's my heart affections, where are my joys, what am I spending my time on to then be an indicator of something needs to give. So to your point of what does surrender look like, um, actually I'm sure there's other people at church that are a little better than this than me and might have some suggestions, but what I try to do is just go before Jesus and say, Lord, this thing has got a lot more affection for me right now than you do and um, just the act of praying and saying, Lord, I surrender this thing to you. I might even, in some hard stuff, I'll get down on my knees and plant my face on the ground and just say, God, before you I am nothing. Take this thing. It is yours. I can't tell you how... uh, It seems weird. I mean, the Muslims do it all the time. I actually think they might have something to it. Getting down on your knees before God and surrendering to him... He does some heart work that I don't understand. It doesn't. It's not a formula I get. I do know that he changes me through it. Yeah, that's a good point. It often does come back again, doesn't it? We surrender it once, and then magically it somehow seems to come back. And I think it's because our hearts are shifting. They kind of get gravitated back to that thing, and so we have to say, you know what? Thank you, Lord, for showing me. I got to give it back to you again. Yeah, I think the. The important thing is always I've found that it's really easy to just ruminate on our feelings and be, man, it sucks, woe is me. You kind of get in this loop of feeling your emotions, but God is devoid of any discussion in those emotions. And so it's super helpful to, at least for me, to want to dialogue with God about those emotions and share those emotions with Him under the spirit of, I want to give these to you because I want to be changed. It's not just about, "woe well, is was me, I feel sad about it. Yes, it's true, but it, that's not going to bring about heart change. A real heart change is when we're able to dialogue with God about those emotions, experience those emotions, but with Him so we can give it to Him. It's 11.30. I'm going to be gentle to you guys and not keep going. Um, so, take away three points that I thought... Um, well, at least hopefully the main points um, let your heart actions reveal your current heart foundation see whether it's on the rock of Jesus or something much less stable I think it's really easy for us to say that yeah I did some work you know, maybe yesterday or a week ago but you've got a heart foundation right now that was probably different than last night so let your actions just be an indicator for you they're a, they're a loving gift from God to just show you that you've got something coming out what's coming out So let those actions be just a kind of clue for you what's going on, and then once you start seeing those things, the second thing is just start submitting (laughs) daily, hourly, by the minute, whatever it takes. Just submit your rebellious heart to God. Whatever He reveals to you, it's a loving gift. Just surrender it to Him. That's all that you need to do. Um, And there are difficult life storms, so it's important that during those life storms to give it to Him to. Continue to surrender because those are purposely and lovingly put there by Him to change your heart. Because He wants you, He He's zealous for you. He He is uh, wanting so much to be in relationship with you. He's allowing these storms for you. And then, uh, important one, I, I'm I'm struggling with this one, but I'm really grateful for God for it. Is this third one? Pray, ask, and beg Jesus to change your heart to do what He commands. It's not brute force. I mean, begging God to do something. I mean, how, if Jesus is really emphasizing the fact that the person on the rock doesn't just hear but does his words, how much does Jesus want us to do? He does. And what does he say earlier in the Sermon on the Mount? He talks about how much he's going to give us good gifts. If we're asking him to change our heart and really petitioning him for it, will he not do it? Yes, he's not going to hold back from us, but really engage with him on it. Ask him to do it. Really engage. Sometimes it is begging. God, I am so sick and tired of this sinful heart. Please change me. And he will do that. Uh, All right. So let's stand. Let's close out here, guys. Father, you are an amazing rock. You are so much more secure than anything this world has to offer. And I'm grateful for your security and your strength and your love and the joy that we have in you. You are reliable, Lord. And nothing else is. So, Lord, help us. Help us to see through your Holy Spirit areas where we're being rebellious against you that we can surrender them to you. Lord, show us that we can give our hearts to you and be found in you. We want to be ready for that final day, Lord. We look forward to eternity with you. Amen.